Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If I bleed tonight, if I am sad tonight, I don't Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Power Slam podcast here on itrwrestling.com or wherever you download your podcasts or of course Patreon if you pledge to us and you get it day early. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin Finn. The sun isn't shining here today, it's a bit chilly actually here in mid-May in Glasgow. How are things down your neck of the woods? Yeah, yeah, a bit cold here. I've got me fleece on. The podcasting, me lucky fleece. So yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's uh, it's like where's summer? Come on, summer! You know, um, it's, as you say, it's like nearly mid-May. You know, this global warming. I mean, I don't know whether there's anything to it, Kenny. You know, it could do with warming up. I know. Well, I think I think I mean because yesterday it was it was pissing with rain in the morning, and then it got really sunny in the afternoon uh, through the evening. And then now it's cold, but like the sun seems to be kind of in the distance. It's we've got bipolar weather over here, really do. But anyway, um, lots to talk about. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about all of Raw on what's going down, so let's just go through the other bits and pieces. Uh, they did advertise on Monday morning that Cody Rhodes would be taking on Theory in a US title match, um, and of course, as I think most people suspected. Seth Rollins ended up attacking Cody when he seemed to have it in the bag. We got the DQ finish, so Cody doesn't take a loss, and it sets up, um, you know, more stuff with Seth and Cody. Seth ends up after the match battering Cody and giving him the stomp on the announce table, um, and he just sort of kneels over him and says, "Never again." So, I mean, this is all but got to be the setup for the Hell in a Cell match coming up 
next month. What did you make of the, the fallout here and the continuation of the programme, Cody and Seth? Yeah, I mean, well... I mean, the backlash finish with the holding the tights and kind of a fluke ending um, did uh, imply that the feud must continue and there would be a third premium live event match. And I think this attack by Rollins in Cody Rhodes' match with Theory confirmed that, yes, Hell in a Cell will be where this conflict ends. So, um, yeah, I mean, it'd be... Be interesting to see, Kenny, if Cody scores another win there and it's like three straight victories over Seth Rollins. I mean, that would be quite something if he did. And um, normally WWE, the way they book these things is, you know, one part of the feud wins the first match, the other half of the feud wins the second match, and then it's all decided in the third match. So this time... It's Cody's got two wins to Seth zero wins. Um, and if Seth wins the Hell in a Cell match, what message does that communicate to us? That Seth was better all along and the biggest star. And, you know, in the in the match where everything's on the line and higher stakes collision, that he's actually the superior of the uh, two performers, the two wrestlers. So I think Cody's got to win the third one, which is going to be... That's going to be a bit weird, isn't it, if that does occur? But I think it has to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't see a scenario where, where Seth could win because, you know, there's so much momentum with Cody, but it is also strange. But then, you know, is it is it one of those things where, like, Cody should be winning the whole feud? And that's just, you know, that's Seth's here to do that job. We're, we're so used to the sort of, you know we're so used to things being a certain formula that we're just sort of waiting for the win. Um, I mean, I just don't, I can't see Cody losing unless it's through some sort of interference from somebody else that's going to take him into his next feud. But um, it feels like he's still going to win this one, I would say. Yeah, I would say so. And if it's hell in a cell, okay, sometimes they, well, many times they, they battle outside the cage and up the side of the cage and onto the cage and, there has been many instances of interference in the past, as we know. So that that situation could de- develop. So Rhodes could lose um, on a fluke or due to outside interference. But I mean, I'm minded to believe that Cody will win match three because there's a lot at stake here for him. And we know that he's going to challenge for the title at some point. We don't know when, but he's going to. And if he were to win the last match of this feud, then that would be a setback for him, which, you know, is not going to facilitate why he returned, which is to win the big one. So, yeah, it really needs to be uh, Cody going over in match three. But I thought Rollins um, really brought the rage here. It was a, a very effective and believable and vicious beatdown of Rhodes. I think Rhodes should not appear on Raw next week. I think he should sell the effects of this attack and return the following week. Um, to p- possibly challenge Seth to a Hell in a Cell match there, maybe. But um, yeah, I mean, I liked it. Obviously, Theory is US champ. He should not have done the job here. He's a big project. They like him. They think he's going to be a huge star, and I think he will be. And there's no way that Cody could take a loss either. So it had to be a non-finish. That was the only possible outcome here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, 
like you say, it's, it's a strange one because it is odd to see somebody get the win in the first two matches, but then also see that they're going to get the win in the third one. But I think Seth's done a good enough job that um, he, you know, he would be fine if that's if that's what happens. Yeah. Um, we also had on the show um, now Lacey Evans is now going to be on Raw um, with with no real explanation as to why, but she's she's moved. Um, but the main event of the show, we got Bianca Belair against Asuka and the, you know, I'm not allowed to say non-title, I'm, I've got to say championship contenders match. That's, yeah. the, that's the official spiel. But Becky Lynch was on commentary. Um, and, you know, she was just, she, I mean, she, her, her, her Twitter game at the moment, actually, Becky is is top tier. She's very funny right now. Um, and of course, you know, she's just not happy that she's not involved in this. And then, of course, she ends up... Uh, getting involved it's a non-finish she's attacking Asuka while Bianca's down um, and then she puts Asuka down in the manhandle slam um, and then B- uh, Bianca's kind of turning to Asuka so next week on Raw we've got a steel cage match with Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair I mean the women's stuff again was 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 pretty good uh, With I mean it was like you said last week it was strange they weren't on the pay-per-view but um, at least we're leading to this big cage match next week, which feels like it should be a pretty big deal. Yeah, I would think so. And um, I thought maybe there'll be a triple threat match and you know, maybe that'll take place at Hell in a Cell. Asuka versus Bianca versus Becky Lynch. Yeah. Um, although the psychology of that is backward because that would be two faces versus one heel. I mean, I know we've seen that before, but generally WWE doesn't like booking that arrangement, that configuration of talent. Um so, um, yeah, I mean, you would think, obviously, I can't see Bianca. Bianca's not losing the title, not for a while. I mean, not until SummerSlam at the earliest. So there's going to be some type of interference here. I would think Belair is going to win again, and that will then lead to probably Lynch versus Asuka at Hell in a Cell. What do you think, Kenny? Do you think that's the direction of travel? Yeah, I think that may be the way they go. And then, you know, Bianca can do like a... Maybe Bianca faces somebody else on the Raw roster. I don't think it's Rhea Ripley yet. Probably not. Um, Because that would be very rushed if it was straight into Rhea. Because she's, you know, she's, I mean, theoretically, we want that six-person tag at Hell in a Cell with uh, involving Rhea and Liv. So, you know, maybe Bianca faces someone else. Um, But yeah, I think Becky and and Asuka, they've got that long-term story um, from the relinquishing of the bell to uh, you know the Royal Rumble matches they've had so I think them in a cell if they go that way would be a really good one and I think this would be first that would be Asuka's first Hell in a Cell match right I don't think I, Asuka's had one I think so yeah I think so because we've had Becky and uh, Sasha we've had Sasha and Charlotte we've had Bailey and Bianca maybe we've had Becky and Charlotte and I don't remember but I don't I don't remember Asuka being in a Hell in a Cell match is my point. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, I don't either. I don't remember that match. So, um, but yeah, that's that's where they're going with this. And the match this week or next week on Raw is going to be another setup match. I know look, there was a lot of complaints about this week's Raw, uh, the frequency of the DQ or the you know running finishes or non finishes or whatever. But to me, that's what the TV's for. It's to set up the pay per view matches on which we get actual finishes. And I think really the ratio of finishes to, you know, screwy finishes, I I don't think it's a 
I think we get all, I think we do get pretty good value for money, mostly from WWE. It's a hell of a lot better than it used to be. And, um, you know, a lot of people complain about this, but would they rather have people lose matches that's going to sap their momentum? Well, no, they wouldn't. And it's like, look at the big picture here. This is a constant train, a moving train. It's a traveling roadshow. And it's like, look at where it's going. Look at the big picture. And um, it's not about immediate gratification. It's about the long-term story. Um, just quickly on Lacey Evans. You're right, yeah, she, she was just moved over to Raw with no explanation. And we had, I believe it was, was it chapter five of her hard <laughs> luck tale? And it's like, okay, she had a tough upbringing. Lots of people did. And it's like, can we just draw a line under this now? And it's like, you're in WWE, you're doing really well. You know, you didn't spend five, six, seven, eight years on the indie circuit, you know, working for no money in awful rings and dealing with poor working conditions, you know, working your way up to WWE. And I don't know whether this, this could potentially backfire on her. You know, well, I, mean, I know she obviously had a tough, tough upbringing. I know she did. I'm not denying that. Or I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, minimizing it in any way. Uh-huh. But there's a hell of a lot of people in the wrestling fight business and other industries and sporting professions or what have you who've had tough tales, tough upbringings. And I just feel like they're belaboring this. I just feel like they've just gone on about it too long, Kenny. I mean, if to make things even worse, um, apparently there's been reports that she's going to be a heel on Raw. What? Which, if, that, if that's... Um, if that's the case, I don't know why we've went through all these vignettes. Uh, this it was a report from PW Insider saying that she's going to be on Raw and noted that she will be working as a heel on the Raw brand. Mm, I now, can't Maybe one day, but surely not in the beginning. <laughs> I mean, it just would... I mean, the only thing I can think of is that they've, they've basically given up on what they've been doing with the vignettes and her being a babyface, they've just switched her and they're planning to phase it out. But even then, it's, I mean, it's, we'll see. We'll see how Lacey gets on, but it's not looking it's not looking rosy for her right now. But that's been a, a great comeback. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, I mean, it's not. It, and the thing is, you look at her; she's so attractive. It's just like, well, you know, I'm sorry, but it's hard for me to feel sorry for you because you're so damn attractive. <laughs> Yeah, you're an attractive, rich woman. You know, like, how, what, how are we supposed to feel sorry for you? That's a cost of living crisis, Lacey. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but we there's, know... There's, art, there's articles on, you know, websites about how, you know, parents can't heat their homes or feed their kids, and you're banging on about your childhood trauma. Yeah, I mean, the th- I mean, the thing is, Kenny, we know about this. It's difficult being so good-looking, isn't it? Yeah, it's a daily I mean, it's crush. A cross to bear, life. but I mean, you know, we carry it, don't we, Kenny? We're, you know? we're still normal. We people. own it. We own it, you and I. And Lacey as well. <laughs> oh my god. Actually, uh, well, Lacey's not owning it, is she? She's, she's bitching not. and moaning about it. Own it, woman. Own it. Anyway, let's move on to uh, we both checked out some of Dynamite last night. Um, I managed to get I I I, I thought we could just go through the kind of 
the, the top things that happened. Um, we opened the show with uh, the quarterfinal Owen Hart qualifier with Dax Harbour and Adam Cole, which uh, Adam Cole won. And it was a very good match. But this, one of the kind of big stories coming out of it was that they showed Martha Hart in the crowd um, looking very pleased. And it was kind of quite heartwarming to see her in a wrestling environment with Owen Hart being honoured the way she feels comfortable with or in a way that she feels comfortable with. So I liked that she was there and and it wasn't, she was just in the crowd, they showed her and that was that. You know, it wasn't some sort of big, here's Martha, look how great we are. You know, it was was left more subtle. So I appreciated that. Um, But um, then we had uh, CM... How was Adam Cole's tan looking? (sighs) It was sketchy. It was very sketchy. They always is, you know. You, I mean, you, what's going on with that tan and and MGF's hands? Oh, MGF's like... hands are a constant question, aren't they? Like what? Because see, in the UK, I'm sure it's the same down in Lancaster, right? You can go, you go past these suntan places like hot, hot or whatever, right? Yeah. And you go in, it's like what a fiver or something, eight minutes. You come out, and and it's and it's everywhere. It's it's all it's even because you go into this thing. And it does everywhere. These guys are self-tanning. And these guys have enough money that they don't need to self-tan. Exactly. I mean, I mean, what's the solution? Does Tony Khan need to invest in one so they can all have like a blast when they arrive? Oh, no, because then they'll all look like Hogan every week. Oh, oh yeah, they will, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we then had uh, CM Punk uh, taking care of John Silver. JR did have a line, and I mean, God bless him for, for trying, but John Silver came out and <laughs> JR said, he reminds me of Ivan Putsky. I was like, what? Yeah, that's a bit of a blast. From the- Ivan Putsky was even before my time. Yeah, Polish, but also... Polish power, wasn't it? Polish power, Polish Ivan power. Putsky, yeah. But like... I mean, in what way? I mean, John Silver is a small guy who's who's you know built a wee bit like a unit, but he doesn't. He's not re- re- reminiscent of Ivan fucking Putsky. I, well, mean, I guess the, the theory is that they were both small guys with big muscles. That's the right. comparison. Okay. So you know that's starts, but I mean, Putsky was never any good. He just he was. I mean, Silver's much better than Putsky was in the ring. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's such a dated reference. I mean, he was a guy. Putsky was a star. When Bob Backlund was champ, and Bob Backlund was champ for the first time, not the second time. So we were <laughs> back 40 years. Yeah. Not, not, but anyway, so Punk ended up beating John Silver. And Punk was booed. He, he had a, was. a tough time there in Long Island, didn't he? Yeah, well, he, he came out in the uh, he came he came out in the New York Islanders jersey, and then he got this music cut, and I mean he could have played into it and Silver being from Long Island, you know, we talked about this on uh, Insurrection yesterday that's up yes. on Patreon, where, you know, Regal really should have been the baby face of the night. And they never did it, whereas here, you know, John Silver's from Long Island, CM Punk plays the heel. It's just what you should do, you know? And, and they, you know, obviously they didn't do it with Regal back then. They did last night. Um, but Punk ends up getting the win, as expected. And then Paige comes in the ring and Punk basically cuts a promo on him saying, you know, um, I used to look in the mirror every morning and asking myself if I was a good guy. But this morning I asked myself if I was the champ. And the answer was yes. 
Um, you wouldn't shake my hand last week, but a double or nothing, you're going to shake it, whether you're unconscious or not. And then he puts the hand out to Adam Page, and Adam Page flips him off and leaves. So it's it's getting a bit intense with these two. It doesn't feel like it's going to be a sportsmanlike contest. So, you know, by the time we get to double or nothing, hopefully it'll have a, a big fight feel. Yeah, I mean, I think they didn't say too... I don't think... Did Adam Page say anything? I don't think he said anything. No, he? no he didn't, no. So he he would be in commentary. He confronted Punk after the match, and uh, it was Punk who responded to you know Page's uh, very strong words on the May fourth Dynamite. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think he said too much here. I mean, Punk could have said more, but we've still got two more episodes before the pay per view, so there's yeah. plenty of time yet for them to say everything they need to say. So. Yeah, I'm warming to this. I'm warming to this match. Um, I still think it's got to be Punk who goes over because yeah. if he doesn't defeat Adam Page, then I'm not really sure what's left for him in AEW. And I think he needs this title reign to make himself relevant again. I think he's been floundering really since the MGF feud. So these next two weeks, I think it needs to be a upward trajectory and... I think they'll have a really good match on the night. I'm sure there'll be a good response to it. Um, be interesting to see who gets booed, won't it, in Las Vegas? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see... Yeah, rather hear who gets booed, not see here. <laughs> well, it'll be, yeah, because, I mean, it'll be interesting to see as the weeks go on how much one of them plays plays up heel like Punk. Um, but, yeah, I think I think the crowd will, 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 will warm to Paige on the night unless he ends up playing a, a heel for some reason. But... Yeah, I think it's a clever move to put the belt on Punk because especially if at the end of this year they're going to have to kind of be, you know, talking about the renewal fees for TV and yeah. stuff. Doesn't hurt to have Punk as your guy. You know, he's a known name. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think that's what's going to happen. Um, but the big segment on the show was the contract signing with MGF and Wardlow. And obviously, with this being in Long Island, uh, you know, we knew Wardlow was going to get booed and we knew MGF was going to get cheered. So Wardlow gets led out with the security guards. Um, we, we get an MGF version of a Dark Side of the Ring trailer with Chris Jericho narrating who almost gives up during it, but then keeps doing it because of how much money he's going to be paid. We have, you know, the Dark Side of the Ring kind of style with the, the dynamite diamond ring and Wardle hit the wrong guy. We have a cameo from Barry Horowitz. Um, it was very funny, a very funny video, uh, which led to MGF coming out. He got the big hero's welcome. He's fist bumping the crowd, Finn. Um, and, the crowd loves him. Yeah. The crowd's hugging him from the from you know from behind the barrier. He's there, like you know, doing like what Punk used to do or did do in Chicago. He's there. Well, he didn't actually jump into the crowd like Punk did in Chicago, but he did basically everything except for that that Punk did in his big return last year. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so then MJF basically, I thought they were very clever with this because my concern in this segment was going to be if they let Wardlow talk, the crowd are just going to boo because of where they are. So they do this thing where MJF basically says, now, everyone, I want you to not boo Wardlow when he speaks, but he would wink as he was saying it. And he would tell the people in the cheap seats um, to do the same. Um, so he then sits down, doesn't let Wardlow speak. Uh, he then mentions Cody Rhodes. Says, I remember what you did to my best friend, the American roller coaster, <laughs> Cody Rhodes. Um, 
and it talks about 2024 again. The stipulations are going to be for Wardlow to get the match double or nothing. He has to face Sean Spears in a cage match with MGF as the referee, and he has to get whipped 10 times, where we've got Sean Spears doing the 10 gimmick. And then Wardlow uh, agrees. Which, interestingly, was like more over than anything that Sean Spears had done that was original (laughs) in his entire AEW career. Yeah. Oh, poor Sean. It's just, it's not happening, is it? I mean, that white, that white suit was glorious, wasn't it? <laughs> Mordecai-esque. I mean, Seth Rollins must have been looking at that and thinking, I've got to get myself one of those. <laughs> um, but then, in, in the end, so Wardlow agrees, and then uh, Wardlow ends up battering a bunch of security guards. I mean, Wardlow's punches look great on those security guards. Um, and then it comes down to uh, Spears kind of protecting MJF. Wardlow gets rid of Spears, and then he gets MGF. He's got a powerbomb, but Mark Sterling jumps his back. So he takes the powerbomb through the table. What did you make of this segment and how they navigated the fact that obviously MGF in this scenario was going to get cheered rather than booed? Yeah, I thought it was well done, yeah. I mean, it was MGF has been having a, a blast lace lately. I mean, when was the last time he wrestled? It's many weeks, isn't it? I'm going to check that, actually. Was it, was it the, the Sean Dean match a few weeks ago, I think it was? I mean, he's he in 2022. Let me find out how many matches he's had. I mean, he's just got the best gig in wrestling. How many? Let's make a prediction. How many matches do you think MJF has had in 2022? Um, I would say maybe seven. He's had four. Four. Wow. He wrestled on the January 5th Dynamite, where he uh, lost to Sean. Dean by DQ in 47 seconds when Punk came in and hit Sean Dean. Yeah. Uh, he wrestled Punk on Dynamite in that 38-minute match in Chicago. Yeah. He then wrestled the dog collar match at Revolution against, against CM Punk. And then he wrestled Sean Dean last month in a count-out loss in four minutes. Wow. Four matches in four, nearly four and a half months. I mean... It's the be- he's got the best gig in wrestling, hasn't he? He's, I mean, he might be the smartest guy in wrestling. One, one match a month, and then he's only going to have one this month, which will be at Double or Nothing. So yeah, um, yeah. I thought I thought it was well done. I thought MGF looked like he was having a blast out there. It was a it was it was a can't miss segment. They've done a really good job setting this up with Wardlow. I mean, the only thing that I don't I can't quite fathom is how this ends. And really, Wardlaw has to win because he has to he has to break this contract. He has to go out on his own and pursue his own adventures and his own matches, his own destiny. But I mean, that would be then two consecutive pay-per-view losses for MJF. And if he's going to continue to move up the ranks and become champion later this year, I mean, I'm sure he'll be able to with Sandy, and I'm sure we'll be able to recover from it. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit confused as to how this ends, really, um, because they both seem to need the win. I mean, this feud, I'm not really sure what more they can do with this feud. It needs to end at the pay-per-view, I think, or at least maybe on the Dynamite, following episode of Dynamite. It needs to end around about then, because I don't think there's much more they can really do with these two together. I think they've done a really good job of keeping him apart. You know, the uh, Wardlaw handcuffs gimmick and security and 
being under contract and having to do what MGF says. I think that that's been handled very well. I like the pacing of it. It's it's sort of atypical for AEW. It's a, it's almost like a less is more storyline. And when you look at what they generally do, they usually load things up and give people too much in a match or story or whatever. But this here, they really strip this down and they're just allowing this almost to take its natural course. So I think they've been very mature, you know, very disciplined in the way that they've presented this. And I think it's been really good for Wardlow uh, and for MGF as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not really quite sure how it plays out on night. What do you think, Kenny? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's 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 a it's a difficult one, but I do th- I think Wardlow probably needs the win more because I think MJF is so good that he can he he's quite easy to rebuild. Whereas I think with Wardlow, I think he really needs that that win. He does, he comes out yeah. yeah, and he needs if, to strike out on his own as well and do his own thing, doesn't he? Yeah, and they, you know they have done a really good job of kind of keep it because when they did the 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 angle at uh, Revolution with the Dynamite Diamond Ring, it was, you know, I remember we were kind of like, will they be able to keep this going till double or nothing? But they they really have by just kind of keeping it simmering and not, you know, letting him almost get his hands on MJF, but he never fully gets his hands on him. Um, so, yeah, they, I, I'm with you. The less is more approach has really worked here. On this I mean, this has actually been like the reverse of the five labours of Jericho, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, well, how did he fill time before the big match between Jericho and MJF? And um, it's like, right, by booking Jericho in mat- one match after another, it's like, oh, no. And this time they kept MJF out of the ring and Wardlow's just had matches generally with people who are expendable, uh, including Impact Wrestling's William Morrissey. Oh, dear. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> you know, they've done it that way by really reducing the amount of time that well MJF hasn't wrestled at all it's only wrestled like once since the pay-per-view um and Wardlow's usually had short matches um just to keep people interested in him and to really just try and increase his star status and his rage at MJF because he's been outsmarting MJF and you know, all these challenges and all these uh, tasks that uh, MGF has set for Wardlaw, he's passed them, he's defeated the opponents, and it's all just building towards that big showdown between Wardlaw and MGF. I mean, here, MGF just fled from Wardlaw, didn't he? So the whole presentation of this is that MGF is effectively in the cowardly heel role. He does not want to face Wardlaw no matter what, even though he said he does and says he does. Um it's the typical MJF sort of approach to this, that he's all talk, but when it comes to the fight, you know, he flees. So, yeah, I mean, Wardle has to win. He really does. Um, and in some ways, I guess MJF, you know, it won't, it won't harm him in the slightest. I think he'll be fine. He's been in this position before, and this is the MJF character, isn't it? He's the kicking yeah. heel, and he still remains over even when he loses. Um, well, elsewhere, there was a lot of stuff on Dynamite, but let's talk about the uh, the main event, which was, uh, we should mention Tony Storm defeated Jamie Hayter to advance in the Owen Hart Cup uh, semifinals, to, to the semifinals. I will say this, I won't mention who, but I, I, a certain wrestler that you and I know that helps me with merchandise um, had said to me once, and I, I never really thought before, they were like, you always know 
I think we've talked about it. You know when Tony Storm's going to lose a match by how she looks when she's coming out for it. So when she came at All Smiles, you were like, oh, she's winning. Great. Good for her. <laughs> um, it's, it's quite easy to tell. Yeah, don't, Tony, you're not supposed to wear your emotions on a sleeve. So, you know, <laughs> giving the game away, you know, telegraphing the outcome. Just, so, just yeah, the that's Tony for you. Um, um, but the main event of the show was, of course, Jeff Hardy against Darby Allen in the quarterfinal Owen Hart uh, match. I mean, this was a stunt-filled match. I feel like they gave the people kind of what they would want out of a Jeff Hardy Darby Allen thing in a TV match. You know, they obviously only went about 10 minutes. Um, but, you know, Jeff's, Jeff's obviously a few steps slower than he used to be. So Darby's doing all the work. Uh, but in the end, um, Darby was, you know, Darby was going for all these crazy bumps. And then in the end, um, he goes for a, a coffin drop and Jeff rolls him into a crucifix and gets the win on commentary, they said. In an anything goes match, a wrestling move was what won the match, um, which uh, Tony Schiavone shouted, I like that. Um, what, did you, <laughs> what did you make of, uh, of Jeff Hardy defeating Darby Allen here and the, I guess, how kind of stunty they were here? Yeah, well, you're right about Jeff. I mean, the match he had with Bobby Fish the other week, the ending of it, he was so slow on the Swanton and it just looked bad and you felt, you just felt sorry for Bobby Fish. You just had to lie there while Jeff Hardy got into position, and it's like, come on, Jeff, hurry up. It reminded me of the, was it the famous Survivor, was it Survivor Series 2002? I believe it was, where Rico can be uh, very audibly, he had to very audibly and very obviously shout to Jeff, hurry up, he's like shouting out. Was it Survivor (laughs) Series 2002? I think it was. It was either 2002 or 2003, at Madison Square Garden. I think it was 2002. So I think that was the night that Shawn Michaels won the belt. Is that ringing a bell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, Madison Square Garden, and there was the the tables match. Yeah, that was the one with Rico and Jeff Hardy. And yeah, spot. and Rico has to yell at Jeff Hardy to hurry up, and it's just it's just like totally audible. Um, so yeah, I felt sorry for Bobby Fish. But as for Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy. I mean, I mean, he set up four chairs at ringside. He had a giant ladder in the ring. And then Jeff was climbing up the ladder and Darby was like selling at ringside on the four chairs. And it just took so long. And I was trying to work out what was going to happen. And then Darby recovered. And then he knocked Jeff off the ladder. And then Jeff ended up on the chairs at ringside and then Darby went up the giant this is not a normal ladder this is one of the giant ladders and he's (laughs) in the ring and he dives off on him and Jeff kind of did catch him but it was a nasty landing on the chairs you know which are upright in seated position Mm -hmm. and I just felt numb after watching that spot Kenny I just felt numb and like that should have been the finish if you're going to do a spot like that that should be your finish that spot should not take place. That's like a combat zone wrestling tournament of death spot. That's what it was to me, only worse because of how devastating that must be, must have been and will be. You know, possibly he's going to be feeling that for a long time to come, and this is going to have a profound effect on, you know, his his um, you know his his future mobility, you know, and his future health and his future, you know, just his life, just in general, you know. 
when he's older, Darby Allen, he should not be doing these spots. People backstage should be saying, Darby, you're not doing that. You know, this is just reckless. This is going to really hurt you or your opponent. And in some ways also it's sending a bad message to fans, uh, well, fans who might be doing backyarding, obviously no one's trying to, uh, no, no one's trying to re- replicate this, but it's sending a poor message, I think, to younger wrestlers on the indie circuit who think that they might uh, receive a contract with AEW if they do stunts like this on indie shows where they, they might be inclined to take even more risks. And I just think it sends, I just think, think it's totally unnecessary, especially in a TV match. So it wasn't even the finish that Darby Allen landed on the chairs. Then he went for a coffin drop off the top rope onto Hardy as Hardy was on the ring apron or part of him was on the ring apron and Hardy moved and Allen hit the coffin drop on the ring apron, which as we know is the hardest part of the ring. Uh, Then Jeff, um, he then placed Darby on the ring steps at ringside and then leapt off onto the ring steps. That actually wasn't as bad in terms of impact because the ring steps have got a bit of give in them. So even though it looked devastating, I don't think it was as injurious as the Alan um, dive onto the chairs was. Um, and then in the end, yeah, he, he, Darby did the coffin drop and uh, Jeff reversed it, countered with a uh, crucifix, one, two, three, and that was the end. Um, but yeah, I just felt I felt really sorry for Darby Allen. I just I just questioned lots of things about AEW that these spots were greenlit, were allowed to take place on a TV show. Um, I just think there should be a lot more. There should be a lot more. Um, someone should be stepping in backstage and should be saying, "No, you can't do that because of the inherent risks to your health." You should not be doing that, especially in a TV match. And if you're going to do spots like that, firstly, they need to be risk managed and you need to be landing on crash mats or um, something that's been prepared so that the injury risk is much lower. And it should only really be taking place in feud feud ending matches, preferably at pay-per-views. What do you think, Kenny? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I get, I totally see where you're coming from. I think they're they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because they they they've set it up that this is what they both do in this kind of environment and this kind of match. So when they were going to face off, this is what people would expect and to get. So I think if they'd went less, I think it would have probably disappointed people. But to your point, it's like you know that this is the the problem when you do so many stunts over the years if you're jeff or over the last couple of years if you're darby that then you give people this expectation level that that's what they're going to get and i think they could have done they could have done some different things here that would have had the same impact like they could have done you know the ladder could have been through a table that was set up near the stage or something because yeah they, they exactly so they could have done slightly different things that i think would have been uh, easier on their bodies um, and I think, I mean, what they really need is someone who, you know how there's people in the world who can basically make you come up with an idea that's theirs, but make it think it's your own. Yeah. They need someone like that, where they can get Darby to come up with an idea that's safer, but really put it in his head as if this is the most crazy thing he could ever do. Reverse psychology is what they need here with uh, with Jeff and Darby. Well, Tony Khan just needs to step in and say, Darby, you're not doing anything like that again. 
It's yeah. that simple. I if think I the other was, thing was, if they were to do this again, like say, they, yeah. say, <clears throat> say Darby and Jeff were to do a rematch on pay-per-view. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do then? Exactly. How do you top that? And it's like, look at Sabu. And it's like, you know, look at the state he's been in for a very long time as a result of too many risks in the 90s and into the 2000s. And it's just like, you know, no one's chanting Sabu's name at the moment. And it's just like, to me, you know, the tragedy here is that Darby is now over. He does not need to do this anymore. And you were just saying, oh, the crowd has this expectation. They're all there at ringside with the with the phones chuckling, <laughs> laughing. You know, isn't this hilarious? There's no emotion. It's not like, you remember Hell in a Cell 98? Mm-hmm. Of course you do. King of the Ring 98, Hell in a Cell. And like, no one was chuckling after mankind took that bump off the top of the cage onto the table or the bump through the through the cage. I mean, people were just like shocked by it. I mean, and you know, I don't think Foley should have done what he did that night, but he did. And it had the desired effect. You look at what Alan um, and Jeff Hardy did. And people were just like, just thought it was, you know, a, a bit of fun. It was this like silly match that didn't really matter. I mean, no one's really going to remember it. I mean, we just seen Sammy Guevara in just a couple of weeks ago, take that ridiculous bump off a ladder in the match with Scorpio Sky. And um, what cracked me up about that was Dan Lambert was at ringside and he looked at it and he was just like shook his head. It's like, what's what was that? Guevara <laughs> did that ridiculous slip off the ladder. His aim was off, so Scorpio Sky had to sort of grab him. It looked, you know, if you want to talk about realism, there was no realism at all there. It was totally unnecessary. It didn't achieve anything. Well, so and even Dan, Dan Lambert couldn't he disguise his contempt for it. I mean, Sammy, Guevara, Sammy Guevara to me is, is a, in some ways a worse offender than Darby Allen because at least Darby Allen makes an attempt <clears throat> when he does some of his crazy stuff to make it look like, you know, this is something he thinks is going to win the match for him. But more, than, more often than not, Sammy Guevara does stuff that is never going to win him a match or get him near it. And then his defense is always, well, I'm just crazy. It's like, well, that's not a, that's not a character that, yeah. that people are going to get behind. But anyway. Oh, um, I mean, to me, and, you know, after that spot there with, with Alan and Jeff, I mean, it's like get him in the ring and try and pin him and try and pin him again and try and pin him again. It's like, oh, no, well, we've done that huge spot. We now, you know, that huge stunt. We now need to do another stunt. And now we need to do another stunt. It's just like stunt wrestling. And um, I just think Darby has reached a point now where he doesn't need to do these things anymore it's sufficiently over. And you mentioned earlier that the fans would have been disappointed had they not provided them with all these gratuitous, you know, stunts and falls and flips and bumps. It's like the wrestlers are in control. You know, they, it's up to them to find ways to entertain the audience without breaking themselves in the process. Well, I mean, hopefully, I mean, I will say I, I did like that. So Jeff's now going to go on to face Adam Cole, um, and they did a kind of face off at the end. But I, 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 I'm, I like that that's going to obviously play into the Bucks and the Hardys at Double or Nothing. Um, at least that's kind of the, the story there. Kind of you can see where it's going. Um, but I mean, again, we talked about this before. I don't know how the Hardys are going to. Why well, I think I talked about this with Sandra. I don't know how. Let Let's pretend for a second that you were into Young Bucks matches, right? Let's pretend that that was the case. I don't think that the Hardys of right now are going to be able to do the kind of match that people are going to want to see 
from the Hardys versus the Young Bucks. So I'm not sure what the Hardys are going to be able to do at double or nothing to, to sort of keep up. So it's going to be interesting because Jeff's kind of got a lot to, Jeff and Matt have got a lot to prove if they do go up against the Bucks, who a lot of AEW fans love and, um, yeah. and love that style. And I just am not convinced that they're going to be able to, you know, keep up with it. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, in some ways, it actually might be a better match because they'll have to slow it down and mm-hmm. do more hardy style spots and sequences and fewer Young Bucks style spots and sequences. So yeah. it might not be a bad thing. Uh, although I think, was it last week's Dynamite on which the Young Bucks and Hardys came face to face? Yes. And like, I think they were expecting like a Hollywood Hulk Hogan and rock style level <laughs> level of... <laughs> of heat and response and noise. And it was kind of flat, wasn't it? Did you notice that? Yeah, it was okay, but it wasn't. I mean, I will say this about the Young Bucks. I I don't feel the Young Bucks have really been presented in the best way in the last few months. I mean, it always feels with the Bucks, it's like if they're champs, they're the focal point of the show. And if they're not champs, they're just kind of not doing much and they're not really involved. And I think that's a mistake because especially with that, you know, the thing you're talking about from last week, if you're going to have the Hardys and the Young Bucks face off, it should feel like a big moment in yeah. AEW story canon. But, um, but the build to double or nothing continues. Um, that is all the time we've got for today. We'll be back on Tuesday with what's going down where we'll talk about SmackDown and Raw and we'll talk about the fact that Roman Reigns is not going to be a hell in a cell. So we'll talk about that as well on Tuesday. Um, but yeah, if you want to support us, the best way is to go to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Inside the Ropes. Um, we managed to somehow spend over an hour talking about Insurrection 2002. I mean, that should be in the Guinness Book of World Records for some reason. I don't know why, but <laughs> we found enough to talk about it. took us over an hour. It looked like everyone, you know, they used that phrase, you know, it looks like it's been tangled. It looked like, <laughs> it looked like everyone on Insurrection had been lobstered. It's got this red tinge to them. <laughs> they do. Imagine if they were in HD. Um, also, the magazine, uh, you can pre-order issue 21 of Inside the Ropes magazine at insidetheropesmagazine.com and check that out. Loads of stuff coming up, as always. We want to thank you for all your support, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.